What's up, everybody? This is Jessica Rice, Communications Director at Renaissance Church, and I am here with Pastor Jordan Rice. Yes, What's yes. up, Jordan? Yes. Doing good. How about you? I'm good. Thank you. And this is a special edition podcast episode, a follow-up to our recent sermon series titled Walking with God When It Hurts. Yeah. And uh, this is something that we had hoped to record actually back in December when we wrapped up that series, but life be life in, and that's okay. We are here now. The rush of the holidays is behind us, and we want to make sure that we get to these great questions that people took the time to text in and send in, email in through the course of that multi-week series. So uh, if that sounds good to you, Jordan, we're going to just hop right into it. That sounds good. Okay, great. So our first question is all about uh, this concept of sometimes people say they've found ways to be grateful for the suffering and hard parts of their lives. Mm. And one person who sent in a question said they find this to be the hardest thing for them personally, to be grateful for the things that have brought them pain. So this person would love to hear how maybe you have learned or not to see the positive in your suffering. Yeah, that's a profound question. I think the big thing, not to be super uh, into semantics, but I am not grateful for any of my suffering. I am not grateful that Daniel died. I am not grateful for uh, chronic health issues. I am not grateful for any of these things. Scripture tells us to be grateful in all circumstances, in all things give thanks, not for all things give thanks. And so I think if we look at suffering and the difficult things in our lives as like, well, how can I find the good in this thing? I think it might just be elusive because there's not always, or sometimes there's like, there's a situation where like, you know, the relationship didn't work out. And then two years later, you find out they're a sociopath. And you're like, thank God for that. You know what I'm saying? Thank God they did ghost me because if they didn't, you know, I'd be with a, you know, a lunatic. So there's stuff like that where you can find the specific, thank God for that. I think what, what scripture writers and the ancients have really wrestled with is this concept that in all things, they have found gratitude because of the way I'll speak in the eye. For me, at least, I'm grateful for how God never left me or forsake me, forsook me. And so in my moments where I wanted to run away through a number of ways, God was with me in like undeniable ways through people and just profound ways when I wanted to run, out, run away as fast as I could, when I was determined to never go to church again, let alone start a church, uh, God was with me. And so for that, I'm, I'm thankful. And so I can find th gratitude and suffering that I've learned things about God in those seasons, in the valleys that I don't think I would have learned in the mountaintops. Now, if you gave me the choice to go back and undo some of the challenges in my life, to undo my student loans, to undo certain things, would I, would I take it? Yes, I would. Uh, but there's still some lessons that I've learned. And for those lessons, I'm very grateful. So I definitely want to caution people against uh uh, an understanding of, well, I have to be grateful for all of these things. Some of the stuff that's happened to us, if you've been abused, uh, I mean, that, why would you be grateful for being abused? Or I mean, that stuff is so, so painful and leaves such a, a, a lasting scar for so many people. So yeah, that's what I would say. What, what about you? Yeah. I mean, I 
I agree with everything that you said. I think what it's been for me at the same time is I can look back at my difficulties and suffering and absolutely see how God has refined me through those painful experiences. And I often like to say pain and suffering is the great equalizer. Like no matter how much money is in your bank account, no matter what your race or ethnic identity, no matter what your gender is, like pain and suffering is this universal thing that we all experience and understand. It's a universal human language. And I think it's true. It's not an overreach to say that a lot of my pain and suffering has actually made me more in touch with the human experience and other human beings. Like I am able to have more compassion a lot of times because of the difficult things I've experienced. I've been humbled by some of the difficult things I've experienced. I've been driven to my knees more in prayer and have a deeper relationship with God because of the hard things I've experienced. And so, uh, you know, there's oftentimes when, yeah, things are great. And I wasn't really praying to God because it kind of felt like, oh, things are cool. And I think most of us know that experience of when you're really against the ropes and you need God, that's when you find yourself praying more and going to him more and, and those kinds of things. And I think that there's opportunity for God to refine us and build our character and, and shape us differently in those experiences. So I totally hear what you're saying about, do I want to repeat any of those hard things? No. If I could, you know, I love all the memes that have come out this year about like, I'm just on the phone with God asking and making sure I'm not on the like pain and suffering plan or whatever, <laughs> like his soldiers. toughest soldiers for the year, strongest soldiers for the year plan. Like I hear all of that. Nobody wants the pain. Uh, but are there perhaps refining aspects, growing aspects to that pain? I think so. And yeah. um I'd have one more yeah. thing though. I, I don't think I would, I would not give the advice to someone. I'm not preaching a gratitude sermon to the person in the middle of their suffering. You know what I'm saying? I'm preaching a abide sermon, which is John 15. So John 15, Jesus is telling his disciples to abide. <clears throat> and over the years, Christians have taken this and I've taught sermons on this, what it means to abide with Jesus. You wake up at, you know, seven o'clock, set your alarm a half an hour early to abide with Jesus every single day. And that, there's definite truth in that. But really the context of that, Jesus was talking to his disciples and that word just means remain. So he's basically telling them it's about to get real in your lives. And what I want you to do is to not walk away from me. And so I think the message to people who are in the middle, in the crucible of suffering is not some find some amazing lesson in this. It's just remain. Just continue to do the things. Just remain. Don't walk away. And so I think the biggest lesson for people in the crucible, in the middle of the pain and suffering is just remain. Don't run away. Stay in community. Stay in fellowship to the degree that you can. Stay in scripture. Stay in the discipline. Stay in the means of grace that God is, has given saints over the thousands of years to, to, to flourish and to thrive. You might not feel any great revelation. You might not have some great, you know, understanding now. And that's not the call for you right now. The call for you right now is just to remain. So don't put the burden on your back to come to some profound lesson, just remain. And I think that's enough. Yeah, I love that. I think another thing we often tell people related to that is there's this temptation in our pain and suffering to ask why, why God, why me, why this, why now? 
And a better question is to ask to what end, um, to what end God, what is this all about? What are you doing in this? How are you getting glory from this? But to your point, that is not a, in the midst of the situation kind of question that is usually kind of coming out of the pain that you perhaps might begin to grasp onto some of those things. Um, but all of that is just so good. Thank you. I think in the middle of my, even of the things that have happened recently, if I'm being perfectly honest, I don't care how God is getting the glory out of the situation. Other people are more profound and holy than, than I can be, I guess, in difficult moments. But when I'm faced with the most painful things, I'm not, the first thing on my mind is not, Lord, how are you getting the glory from this? I wish it was, but that's not my first reaction to it. I mean, pain hurts. Like it, it hurts, man. So I think, I think the Lord wants us to grieve first and to really truly just sit in the ashes. I think actually some people look for a spiritual, we over-spiritualize our grief because we don't actually want to just grieve that this is really, really painful. And to sit in the ashes, sometimes for months. And the Lord, sometimes I think he does bless our grief. Blessed are those who mourn, for we shall be comforted. So I, I think even I would be cautioning people against over-spiritualizing grief and just that the first invitation probably is just to feel the weight of your pain and to grieve it. And then to trust that in time, there'll be some more spiritual application to it. But the first and most spiritual thing you can do is probably just grieve the pain and the loss that you have. Okay, great. So then moving on to another set of questions, because there were some repetitive themes from some of the questions that we got. During the sermon series, you talked about waiting on the Lord when we're in hard seasons. Mm -hmm. uh, but there were a couple of questions that we're asking. So how do we know after we've waited on the Lord, how do we know when we should be perhaps taking the next step or moving in faith? Uh, if he's guiding us to do so, what does that look to kind of come out of a waiting and moving into more of a action step? I think in, in scripture, you have so many times where like Moses, for example, when he was called, I think really we misunderstood what it, like it means to be following what God is calling us to in the moment. And I think God does it in a number of ways. I think first and foremost, we need to be looking for open doors, like what are the open doors in front of us? And so I think whenever we're going through a, a difficult season and we're trying to just hold on in faith, and then how do we know that God is inviting us to move forward? Um, I think first and foremost, I'd be looking for one of the open doors in front of you now that did not exist a month ago, two months ago, a year ago. Um, as I think about this, even like for people dealing with heartache and relationships. So you've broken up in a relationship and you're just really heartbroken, your dreams were dashed and you feel like you grieved it and you're giving yourself time for that. Now, how do you know that it's time to move forward? So I would say a couple of things. One, I would make sure that I was surrounded by good godly people who can speak into my life. And I would first ask them, and I would ask them, do you all think that I am ready to move forward in this direction? And I would truly submit myself to the wisdom that's in those friends, because I think we all operate with natural blind spots. And two, then I would see what are the open doors in front of me that God might be opening uh, for me. Yeah. And um, here's another question. You kind of actually touched on it in talking about community and, you know, God fearing people around us, godly counsel. Uh, but one person submitted a question saying and referencing how you talked a lot about community 
uh, being so healing and necessary when we are grieving, how essential it is. And this person says that they do agree with that. Uh, but they're wondering, what can we do if we're seeking community, but it feels like people haven't been as responsive? Uh, we're trying to lean in, but we're not really getting, I guess, the engagement that we're hoping for um, as we're going through tough seasons. First and foremost, I wouldn't take it personally. Uh, I think there's so much about why people will stay away that's on them that has nothing to do with you. I think the messier your situation the more jagged your edges are, <clears throat> the more jagged your edges are, the more people are just afraid to come around you because they don't want to mess things up. They don't want to say the wrong thing, quote unquote. And I think that's because people have fundamentally a really bad approach to what it looks like to walk with someone who is actually hurting. And one of the things that I've realized is that people uh, really struggle with ambiguity. I mean, we like greatly struggle with ambiguity. So what do you do when you found out that you know, a friend or someone close to you, they've suddenly lost a loved one? What is the right thing to say? There is no right thing to say. There's a lot of bad, wrong things that you can say, but there's no like good things that are going to make them feel better. Even more, I think we take it on ourselves. People take it on themselves to try to make the person feel better. And so since they can't think of something that's going to make them feel better, they just stay away. Um, I think also a huge, huge, huge reason why people struggle is we think that in order to be helpful to people, we need to be able to identify with their situation. So this is why when someone is going through a difficult time, people hijack the conversation and start talking about their cousin who has something similar. You're like, that has nothing to do with my situation, first and foremost. But we just feel people just feel this need to identify with them versus just listening, just listening. And so uh, even recently in, in sharing uh, difficulties, some, some stuff that we were going, going through with some people, I was actually very disappointed with a lot of people and how quickly they would hijack the conversation and to try to prove to me and to prove to themselves that they can identify with what was going on versus just listening. And so I would say... If you're a person who's going through a difficult time and your friends are not showing up for you in a way that you wish they would, your family's not showing up for you in the, wish, in the way you wish you would, one, I would say you're in good company. Jesus' friends, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, they did not show up for him in the way that he wished that they uh, would, and he still asked them anyway. So keep asking, first and foremost. Two, don't take it personally. People really, truly do oftentimes lack the maturity emotionally. Even if they have a great career, great, you know, whatever, they oftentimes lack the emotional bandwidth to just sit in the ashes with you and just to listen and to truly be helpful. And so I wouldn't take it personally. Um, that's really good. I think to your point about people wanting others to feel better when a better goal is perhaps for people to not feel alone, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, to feel our, our to feel felt, yes, because our pain is just, it's a heavy weight. It can often feel very isolating. We feel like we're the only person that even knows what we're going through. And and so a better, yeah, approach is I'm not trying to make this person feel better. I'm trying to make them feel felt. I'm trying to make them feel supported, that they have people around them who care, that they are not 
alone as they have to walk this really hard road that they're on. I think that's so good. Um, and even just saying that too, just saying, man, I can imagine this road just feels so painful and so alone. And I'm just, I'm so sorry. I'm here with you. And that's it. And that just mm -hmm. does so much more. You know, I always talk about my boy um, after Danny died. He had no theology degrees. Um, and he just was such a help to me because he wasn't even trying to offer some profound thought about what God was going to do. You know what I mean? He wasn't doing none of that. We would just sit down and there was so much awkward silence. And the gift that he gave to me was, was the ability to endure the awkward. So that was the gift. Other people would have, from, from the outside looking in, would have been like, this is going terribly. But for me, I was trying to figure out so much. He just let silence stay in the room. He just let me be the one that was in control of the conversations. Uh, even if I was repeating myself over and over again, and that was a huge gift to me. He did for me what, you know, ordained pastors with, you know, five degrees didn't do at all because he just sat with me. And so I just felt, felt, I felt listened to. I didn't feel alone when I was with him. And I, I that was a gift that he gave to me that the Lord used him mightily in my life. Yeah, that's so good. I think another thing too, for those people listening who might have friends that they've tried to kind of lean on and maybe they're not getting the feedback that they want, I think it's worth it to evaluate, uh, do some self-reflection to say, well, how direct have I even been in asking for what I'm looking for or what I need? So sometimes we can say people just ought to know that I wanted the safe space to talk about it. But you could perhaps teach and help and guide your friends by just being more direct and say, hey, calling that friend, you know, this is not a stranger friend, but like a friend. And calling that person and saying, hey, can I talk and I just get the things that are on my mind out and you don't have to feel any pressure. In fact, I don't want you <laughs> to try to give me advice or give me Christian platitudes right now. But can you just be a person who listens to me talk for the next 15 minutes? Um, and then like maybe at the end we can pray or whatever, but like you can be more directive and and make known to people and you might find that those conversations get to be more fruitful and you grow together and learn each other as you navigate those hard seasons. Yeah, to not not, not be afraid to give your friends guidance just to, just to say, hey, but these next couple of weeks, bro, when I call you, I just need I just need to dump. I just need to dump all dump everything out. And that's all I need. I don't need nothing else. Yeah. Or I just need to go out and laugh tonight. Yeah, right. I don't want to actually talk about the hard right. thing. Can we just go watch a game and have a and good laugh. time? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's so good. Um, so here's another question that I think is so good uh, because it gets at a challenge that many people have, but is sometimes kind of invisible to the rest of us, which is how do you keep faith when you're combating physical pain, mm. the suffering of just like a chronic illness or physical kind of oppressive state. I think, yes, again, like it's just so easy to not know some of the silent things that people are struggling with. Um, so how do we keep faith through those kinds of situations? Wow. Yeah. Chronic illness is very, very difficult. Uh, I think two things and in dealing with, um, 
himself personally as well, I would say, first, you have to take your thoughts captive. You have to think about what you're thinking about. Because mm. if your thoughts are left unguarded, for me, I'll speak in the eye, it could just turn into this, man, it's so unfair, where I'm dwelling about, Lord, this is so unfair that I'm dealing with this and other people aren't. And that narrative left unchecked could really just spiral into misery. And I'm speaking from personal experience in this one. Um, and so I think it's impossible to, it's impossible to not feel saddened, overwhelmed, burdened, um, depressed. I mean, one of the major side effects of chronic illness is depression. Um, so w first and foremost, I think if you are a person who's really dealing with, um, uh, chronic illness to know, to not judge yourself. If you're dealing with depression, this is a very common, um, thing that happens to people who have chronic illnesses. So I, I would say first and foremost, to even make sure that you're putting yourself in position to get, uh, to talk to a therapist and talk to people who can help you because you, you don't have to deal with this alone. First and foremost. Secondly, one thing that my therapist told me was, she said, uh, Jordan, just set it. You have 30 minutes a day to feel bad about yourself and just set the timer. When you want to feel bad, start it. And then at the end of that 30, when that 30 minutes is over for that day, that's it. That's it. You've, it's, it's run its course that day. You are no longer, you're not gonna let yourself feel bad anymore that day, but you need some outlet to you to where you can actually do that. And that was, that was very helpful for me because I, it's almost in a way that having like a timer on your Instagram, uh, makes you use social, social media differently. Um, oops. Makes you use social media differently. Uh, having a timer where you, um, are thinking about how much you're allowing yourself to, to feel these negative, difficult emotions is, is really, truly helpful. Think about what you think about. I love that phrase. Uh, okay. Here's another question. Uh, one of the things again, that you mentioned in the series, uh, was that unanswered prayer, people kind of praying for a specific outcome over a long time can, when that prayer goes unanswered, it can often cause a lot of people to walk away from the faith completely. Mm. And this person talked about that being something that they're struggling with lately. Uh, this person says that they're scared one day they might give up for good because some major prayers of theirs haven't been answered. Uh, so the question that they have is how does one stay faithful even when it feels like God isn't. Wow. 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 Um, you know, just when, when Jerron died, it was just came out of the blue. So it wasn't like you were praying for, you know, praying for him. You were just kind of taking a nap on the couch and it just happened. But when Danny had cancer, I remember praying and thinking to myself that if God doesn't heal her, then that's it. Like I'm, I'm out. I'm not, if he just lets me, if he lets my worst nightmare happen, ain't no way. Like, I'm just not going to do that. And then I realized, I read an article that um, essentially talked about the thing that ruins us. And John Oates preached about this in his sermon, that tragedy does not ruin us, but hopelessness does. And I think one thing that causes hopelessness is when, and I want to say this as gently as possible, because people are praying for some really good things, feelings for people, life, relationships, children loved ones. I mean, they're praying for some really beautiful things. It's beautiful, earnest prayer requests. 
but I, I want to be really gent gentle in the way I say this, but a lot of times I think we need to evaluate, do I have faith in Jesus or do I have faith in what I want Jesus to do for me? And walking away from the latter is not walking away from the former. Uh, oftentimes, if you read throughout the scripture, I mean, there's so many times where God just doesn't, there's so many people that Jesus did not heal. A lot of people Jesus didn't heal, even when he was healing a bunch of people. Not everybody got healed. And even in Hebrews 11, you see the great hall of faith. In the, in the middle of the chapter, it says, but then there were others, others who did not receive what they, what they prayed for, and they still held on in faith. And I think in these scenarios, we need to evaluate, Lord, what do I have my faith in? Am I holding you hostage to what I want from you? Or am I actually willing to follow you and lay down my self-will for your will? And so the prayer that Jesus says, I mean, this is, I don't know why this doesn't get more press and more publicity in Christendom in America. The Lord's prayer is, is, is mind blowing. Jesus says to pray, to lay down your self-will. Every single day you're saying, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. And this process of learn, laying down your will for God's will is the entryway to Christianity, quite, quite honestly. And so I would be uh, very... Um, one, first and foremost, wanting you to grieve alongside God, uh, those losses. Um, and I, I would say also even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane shows us a picture of what it looks like. Or oh, Jesus in the cross shows us what it means to wrestle when you feel abandoned by God. And so in those moments, you know, Jesus in the cross says, you know, Lama, Lama, Eloi, Eloi, Lama, Shabbatani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The incarnation means that God knows what it feels like to be abandoned or forsaken by God. So if you are feeling that, you need to be praying that, Lord, I feel forsaken, I feel abandoned, and to know that Jesus, our blessed Savior, has felt that as well. And in those moments, you don't have to have it figured out on your own, but to reach up your hand for his and say, Jesus, I'm feeling forsaken, and I know you know what it feels like to feel forsaken. Can you please make sure that I don't fall away? Yeah. Amen to that. And I think we would do well to kind of normalize the wrestling that we perhaps will feel for our whole lives of, if I were to write the story, God, it would go this way. And for whatever reason that I may or may not understand, God, you sometimes choose to write a story that is different from the one that I would write for myself. Um, and can I trust that your goodness and mercy are pursuing me every moment and day of my life and that even in the pain of not receiving those things that i would want that perhaps lord you're you are good through all of that and you are pursuing me in all of that even if i cannot understand it um but i think it's it really does require an honesty like it's not necessarily that we come to this point where that that prayer praying that prayer of uh, your will be done and, you know, my, my will go becomes easy all of a sudden, but that it, it's this, you know, ongoing process of, of asking God to help us submit to that. Yeah. I think walking and allowing God to be mysterious and his ways to be mysterious, his ways to be higher than your ways and his thoughts to be higher than your thoughts in suffering. Those, those scriptures become true. And what it means to follow him means that you're following him through massive uncertainty 
yeah. massive uncertainty. And uh, I think that is actually walking with the real Jesus is he does not tell us what the next step is. He does not guarantee us uh, the life that we wanted. But at the same time, also, I think it's also helpful to know, to have some perspective that people in scripture have wrestled for a really long, 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 long time. And I have been in this business long enough to know that I've seen a lot of people who are now crying tears of joy for what they were crying tears of sadness for years ago. So that the prayers were answered eventually. They weren't answered in the time that they wanted, but they were answered eventually. And so also to not give up in faith and keep on praying and asking God to show up because I've certainly seen God blow the doors off of people's understanding in terms of to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. But uh, in that dark night of the soul where you have to wrestle to allow, to trust that God is doing something in your life, which is kind of unsettling, very unsettling, but it's allowing us to walk a little bit more in the mystery of what it means to follow God. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Okay. So this next question uh, is one that we're both familiar with uh, because of our personal stories. You've referenced Danielle, Jerron, my late husband, Danielle, your late wife, and how they both passed away when we were in our 20s. Um, and so the question is, how do we, after experiencing tragic loss, cope with the fear of losing other loved ones unexpectedly? Mm. Uh, and man, that's a doozy of a question for sure. Uh, I think I can speak and answer first that uh, because my late husband passed away suddenly, um, the the experience was very traumatic and it was almost like it took my my consciousness my body time to even catch up with the reality of it all i mean i would have dreams about my late husband and it was always kind of the same story of no i didn't actually die i was just away in a foreign country living in a cave but now i'm back you know and it was just like always this my brain trying to kind of wrestle with the reality of the whole situation. Um, and I get this question a lot about, yeah, or people who say, I can't believe you kind of moved on and you were able to get married again and you were able to love again. And in my personal uh, circumstance, I think while it did take time and I still have lingering thoughts of terrible things happening to you, Jordan, to our children, to other people I love, I think what I have tried to do is remember that God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind in him. And that like I place my future into his hands and I place you and our kids and the people I love into his hands. Um, and again, it's my, I'm, I'm certainly prone to have the dark thoughts um, and to think about worst case scenarios. Uh, but I also try to think about what I think about and remind myself that God is good and loving is not out to get me. And so I will try to just be very sober and present with the fact that you are here today. My kids are here today. The people I love are here today and I will live more presently here um, and not try to be consumed about thinking, well, what if, what if this worst case scenario happens, um, which is not in reality, right? I could spend um, a whole day 
feeling um, paralyzed by thinking about circumstances that aren't actually in reality. Uh, so I just, I really try in those moments to ground myself in the idea of God being a loving and good father in the presence of this moment, um, in the reality that I will lose everything that I love, everyone that I love, as Jono talked about in the series. But those people are here today, and I'm going to love them well and cherish them well today. So those have been some of the things, the practices that have helped me navigate. I don't know what it's been like for you, Jordan. Uh, I'm a catastrophizer. So for me, whenever the I go directly to the worst case scenario, and that to me becomes the most likely scenario. So, you know, I've had chronic migraines my whole life. It's not just that it's a, another migraine. This one is, this is something like terminally wrong this time. And uh, I've done that in my, in my head and allowed myself to really catastrophize and to really play on the worst case scenario. And I realized that this is, this is a defense mechanism. So first I would say to be gentle to yourself, to know that this is a, this is a defense mechanism uh, because you feel out of control and you don't want to feel out of control because out of control leads to worst case scenarios or really sad scenarios. So to be gentle to yourself, but then also to catch yourself and say, for example, for, for me, at least it's catastrophizing to say, oh, Jordan, you're catastrophizing again. This is why you're catastrophizing because you lost these people like this and this has happened in your life. And so this is one way you want to prevent yourself from future pain, but it's not helpful. It's actually not going to prevent you from future pain. Uh, and it's much better to live in the moment and to just remind myself of that. So when I, I try to come alongside myself and be gentle to myself and say, yo, J.O., you just catastrophizing right now. This is not likely. What did the doctor actually say? The doctor did not say that, or this person, the professor did not say this, or the landlord did not say that. You're just going to the worst case scenario because you're trying to prevent yourself from being devastated again. And man, you've been through a lot. So this makes sense. It makes sense for you. So to be gentle to yourself and to be kind to yourself, um, but also to, to realize when you're doing it so you can stop that repetitive thought to really truly think about what you think about. We have to think about what we, what we think about. Yeah. It's so true. And I think we need to acknowledge that loving people, just as Jesus loving us, involves pain. Um, you know, and I think we want to love and be loved and there to be no pain. But yeah, the, the fact is, you know, even even in terms of rushing through the pain of losing someone, is that something we really want to do? Because if we really loved someone, if we really cared about someone, if they really cared about us, it should hurt when we lose them. And it shouldn't just be something we gloss over. Like the pain is actually a testament to how special of a relationship that was. And so, um, yes, pain is involved. Risk is involved in love of all kinds, uh, relationship of all kind. But when I and I try to imagine if I hadn't let myself be vulnerable and hadn't taken the risk of perhaps losing another spouse or whatever, man, my life would look so different over the past decade. Um, and so I'm just so grateful that, uh, yeah, that, that I take it one day at a time and try to be present. And, and that's all we can really do. I think underneath that, though, also is like this assumption that we can like move on and get back to normal. And I don't think that mm -hmm. that's, that's not real. 
So one of the biggest encouragements I can give to people, and might not sound like an encouragement, but our life is, what is normal? What is normal? Like, was you at 14 normal? Or you at 25 normal? Like, what is normal? Our life is a series of experiences that shapes us. And it does, and grief will shape you, shape you, loss shapes you. And there are ways in which it could shape you in humane and human ways that other things will not shape you. I don't want to say for the better or for the worse. I don't want to make it a thing of, you know, having suffered is better than not having suffered. But there are ways that grief can shape you in beautiful ways, as disgusting as some of the things that have happened to us. Um, there are ways that it can shape us to be a person of true justice. Uh, some of the people who are the fiercest proponents of, of justice are people who have suffered injustices. And mm -hmm. is that a good thing what happened to them? No. But there's ways that grief can shape us. So I would say to, to, to everybody to consider um, in your life, don't try to like rush back to normal. Uh, what is normal? I don't, I don't know that it, we even know what that even looks like. But secondly, um, if we allow ourselves to go on the journey of life and to accept what God has for us uh, in that it could be something uh, beautiful and that we actually, uh, it changes us in good ways. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we've come to our last question, which yep. is uh, actually our series really focused on when we suffer personally mm -hmm. or when people around us suffer, how can we be for that, be there for them? Uh, but we did have a couple of questions that dealt with speaking to the suffering that we witness around the world, right? Mm. Which we know is a lot. We know that yeah. there's gross injustice, there is war. We are seeing the situation in Gaza. We're seeing what's happening in Sudan and Haiti in different parts around the world, we're seeing another school shooting. We're we're seeing so many different things, and never in a time before, I think, have we had as much exposure to all of the suffering that's happening around the world. How do we walk with God as we witness all of the suffering that's happening around the world that we're exposed to? Yeah, first and foremost, I don't think it's realistic to consume infinite media about the worst things and not be overcome by it. So really one of my favorite scriptures is Proverbs 4.23. It says um, to guard your heart above all else, right? Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. And so we truly do need wisdom and discernment in terms of what is appropriate in the sense of to be informed, to be a good advocate for the issues that truly matter versus what is excessive and what is going to truly overcome and overwhelm you in, in ways. So really never before in, in the history of the world, this is not an exaggeration, have we had access to the absolute worst atrocities in high definition at our phones immediately. As soon as, and it, without your permission, and you could just open up social media and you just see it. I, I was following a bunch of accounts of uh, journalists in Gaza and you see kids in the rubble. I mean, and this is just when I'm, you know, I'll, I'll see one post about sneakers, a sneaker release, and then the next post is about the worst thing. I mean, this the horrendous, horrendous things. And so you have to be very cautious about uh, what is awareness and what is gluttony. 
And mm-hmm. our hearts cannot just ingest a nonstop um, stream of, of all of these things because it's too much. I remember after Ahmaud Arbery was murdered, uh, I was talking to my therapist about it. And I was, you know, I joined had me messed up for like for months. And my therapist was just asking me, well, what, Jordan, what did you hope to get from watching the video? And I was like, I don't know. I just felt like I had to because I had to, that was the right thing to do to watch the video so I could make the statement about all of the, and I had me messed up for months, man. I could have, I would have, if I could, would go back in time, I would have just read the synopsis of what happened and kept it pushing because that joint really overwhelmed me in terrible ways. It's, it's too much. It's too much. We have to guard our hearts first and foremost. Yeah, that's so good. I think that's absolutely right. And I think the other thing we have to confront with all of this is we, for good reason, want to see resolution and we want to see justice happening. Uh, but we also have this very real limitation, you know, like we can uh, sign petitions, we can call congressmen, we can do a lot of uh, civil activities, we can pray. But I think these moments, these things that we witness around the world are also opportunities for us to acknowledge our powerlessness and our limitations which is the thing that none of us really wants to do. And so I think a lot of what we see, even what we might witness, maybe even some of us engage in on social media, shaming other people for <laughs> for saying the right thing or not saying the right thing is like all of us grasping for some kind of control or power when we actually perhaps need to go before the Lord and truly grieve. God, I know that this terrible, horrific thing is happening and I feel powerless and limited because I, I can't go and sit next to the person who is halfway across the world the way that I could sit with the person in my church community who's grieving. Like, I am limited to what I can do to end this suffering. And that is very hard. Um, so I think, you know, even as we look for ways to take action, I think it just always has to be measured with. Am I also acknowledging what my limitations are and and grieving that perhaps even um, and sitting in the powerlessness that I have? Yeah. And even praying through your anger and praying through your, I mean, one thing you'll see in the Psalms, the book of the prayers for the people are just like angry, angry prayers. Like, God, why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting this happen? Why do you stand so far off? And I think, I mean, if these prayers were not written in the book, in scripture, I mean, people don't pray these prayers now. We don't feel free and licensed to, to pray honest prayers. So I, I think this is an invitation to actually pray honest prayers before the Lord. Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? This is terrible. How are you good? How? This doesn't make any sense, Lord. And so I think, but if you read through the Psalms, I mean, a third of the, two thirds of the Psalms really contain people expressing very difficult emotion, anger, frustration, sadness, bewilderment. And I think, I mean, we need, we would do very well to, to ground ourselves in the Psalms, uh, to pray through them. And, you know, I know a lot of times you should a Psalm a day, a couple of Psalms a, a day, just, you know, as you go through them two or three a day, you'll start, you'll start to see these themes of people honestly wrestling with God. And I think it might give us more permission to wrestle with God more honestly. Uh, so I think, uh, in order for me to navigate the myriad of things going on in the world and country right now uh, that we're always bombarded with, I think 
praying honestly to God about that because it's a whack faith if you if I have to just give God if I have to pray some buttoned up prayer and thankfully God gives us examples in Scripture of men and women wrestling in faith and saying God I just, this just doesn't make sense to me you feel distant or you feel this shouldn't be happening yeah and I mean that those honest prayers go for again come back to our own personal suffering too I think. It works for the large macro world problems. And when we are going through things uh, in our personal lives, it is okay to call out with honesty and say, Lord, what are you doing here? What is this about? Or I am distressed, you know? Um, And to really, like you said, it's an invitation to pray honest prayers. I love that. Yeah, because God knows, God knows what we're thinking. He knows it's on our hearts. And then we get to church and we say these canned prayers that we think are the right things to say. And we leave, you know, unsatisfied. And I think, yeah, freedom to, to truly know that God knows us, he sees us, and he invites us to pray honestly and wrestle before him. And we'll still, we'll find him to truly be good. Well, that concludes our mailbag. We got through all of them, Jordan. Thank you. Any yes. final parting words with us before we log out? I think the thing that I've been wrestling with the last couple of months is that God wants us living in reality. And the biggest temptation and suffering is to try to escape what's going on in our lives right now our, through, through blame, through trying to find a quick fix. Uh, instead, the biggest invitation for us is to allow ourselves to sit in the pain and to actually grieve the losses, the disappointments that we are having. The best way that I know how to do that that I do quite uh, frequently is I will set a timer for about 20 minutes and I will walk through all the things that are making me angry and I'll pray before the Lord, Lord, these are things that are making me angry. These are the things that are making me sad. These are the things that are making me anxious. These are the things that are making me glad and I'll pour out my heart before the Lord. And in doing that exercise, I have found a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous uh, encouragement and it allows me to live in reality and also to walk in faith. And so I would strongly recommend that we have to give ourselves an, a, something to allow us to get the, all, everything inside of us out and uh, grieving our losses honestly and before the Lord in prayer by spending time thinking about what am I mad about? What am I sad about? What am I anxious about? What am I glad about? In that order, really uh, frees you up in so, so many different ways. Yes. So true. So true. Let's all get free. And like you said, the Lord already knows what we're feeling. So why not invite him into the conversation that's going on in our heads and our hearts? Um, So thank you so much for the time. Thanks for the series too. We got so much feedback about the timing of the series, the helpfulness of the series that people felt seen. And again, I think suffering is so universal. It's not are you suffering now? But have you suffered in the past? Will you suffer later? Like we all will encounter this. And so to have um, a theology that carries us through walking with God when it hurts is just so valuable. So thank you to you and the teaching team. Yes. And thankful to the church to walk through us all so bravely. All right. We'll see you later, Renaissance family. Peace.